we who are followers of Jesus can continue to live as faithful followers of Jesus for our whole lives, right? Our whole lives. What does it look like to live a life centered on Jesus, you know, connected in his family, engaged in his purposes for us for decades and decades? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had some friends over the years that you know, maybe they didn't stop believing in Jesus, but they drifted away from any kind of meaningful engagement as his disciples. And I know there's all sorts of pressures on us coming from all sorts of directions that can distract us, they can fill up our time, uh, they can use up our energy, and they can make our life of faith perhaps seem less important or maybe even less real than all of our other day-to-day activities. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Well, one of my hopes is that uh, we would be helping you here to grow in your relationship with God in such a way that you would always want to live your life centered on Jesus. Yeah, I know that was Paul's hope for those uh, believers in Corinth too. It must have been devastating for him to hear about all of the weird and wacky things that were going on in this church he had planted in Corinth. So all through 1 Corinthians, which we've been in now for, this is the seventh week, uh, Paul has been writing about how to live as faithful members of God's family and why that matters. And now in chapter 15, as we, we get to the end of this, he he's, gets to what I think everything he has written about so far, everything he has said has been leading up to this. And it's all about resurrection. So today we're going to talk about resurrection even though it's not Easter Sunday. What about that? And, and what that has to do with us living our whole lives as members of God's family. So are you ready? Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, come right now, I ask. Um, I pray for your presence here. pray that you'd bless us with your presence. I pray that um, you'd be at work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in us as a church this morning. I pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, so that we might hear your word and let it do a work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the middle of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, uh, in verse 19, Paul writes this. He said, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? really is. And, and sometimes I think the way we Christians have interpreted that has been as if nothing on this earth really matters. Now, I remember years ago, many, many years ago, being taught um, what we called the lifeboat illustration, which said that the world is like a great stormy ocean in which we're all drowning until we give our lives to Jesus and we get pulled into a lifeboat, so to speak. And the only thing that matters now is staying in the lifeboat and helping others get in the lifeboat until we can all be carried off away from this wicked earth to heaven. I mean, it's a vivid picture. And there are certainly some elements to truth in it, but it is not the picture the Bible gives us. Uh, So what does Paul mean by verse 19? And to answer that question, I think we have to start 
with the gospel. So I'm going to read to you uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8. He writes, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you the most, as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Paul said, I want to make clear for you the gospel, right? The gospel. The gospel means good news. And the gospel is good news about something that happened. We've been bringing that up now and again during this series. You know, if you have a baby or if you get a new job, you get a fourth grandchild like somebody I know just did. Yeah, um, you graduate from college um, or you want to tell everybody or, or, you know, whatever. When something happens to you, you want to tell everybody. That's my point, right? You want to spread the good news. And you want to you spread the gospel, you could say, about what happened to you. Well, Christianity is not a set of ideas. It's not a pathway to spirituality. It's not a way of life, particularly. It's, not, it's certainly not a political agenda. It didn't even start out as a new religion. Now, it does inform and influence and give energy to all of those things, but Christianity is at its heart good news about something that happened good news about something that happened. And what happened, Paul says, is this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried, and Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Bible scholars think those verses were like a statement of faith, an early creed for those first Christians, uh, the way they were taught the essentials of their faith. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried, and Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. They're not religious ideas. They're describing an event that happened. And and note that what happened, he says, happened according to the Scriptures. Now, the New Testament had not yet been written when Paul sent this letter. So according to the Scriptures can't mean according to how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the story in their gospel accounts. Hadn't been written yet. No, Paul's saying that when Christ died and rose again, that was according to or in accordance with the whole story of the Bible going back to Genesis. The story about how our God uh, loves all of his creation so much and especially loves all of us so much that he was not willing to let his creation be destroyed by the chaos of sin and death, even though we're the ones who opened the door to that chaos. He loved us too much for that. 
all through the Old Testament, there's this growing sense of promise and expectation of a Redeemer who would come, a Messiah who would come, who would make everything that had gone wrong right again, and who would then rule the world with righteousness and justice and mercy. So when Paul spells out that gospel creed, he uses the word Christ, not the name Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that was intentional. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, right? Well, it's not his last name, it's his title. Christ means anointed one. It's it's the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. Using Christ tells us that when Jesus did these things, when Jesus died and rose again, he did them as the Messiah, the long-promised conquering king who had come to set his people free. The gospel is the good news about an event that happened. Do you ever find yourself wondering if all of this God stuff is even true? (laughs) I'm sure you don't. You probably never do. But every now and then, I find myself thinking about that. Yeah, what if we're making all of this up? But whenever that happens, I go back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was an event that happened, not just some religious idea. Hundreds of people saw Jesus alive again on multiple occasions after he was crucified. Yeah, they were so sure that Jesus had risen from the dead that many of them endured horrible persecution. Many of them were martyred. You know, we have a faith that is based on good news about an event that happened. And what happened when that event happened is what makes all the difference. In verse 12, Paul writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? In previous weeks during this series, I've been talking about how some of the believers in Corinth thought they had achieved such a high level of spirituality that they were essentially perfect already, right? They were like the angels, they thought. They believed that was the gospel. You know, to become these super spiritual people. You know, so they didn't want or think they needed or believed in resurrection for themselves. Your know, resurrection has a very specific meaning. It means someone who was physically dead becomes physically alive again with a physical body, right? That's what resurrection means. Well, these super spiritual Corinthians didn't believe in that. They thought death was a way for believers to escape their bodies and continue on living as these purely spiritual beings unhindered by their physical bodies. Well, that's actually not too different from what a lot of people think Christianity teaches these days, isn't it? A lot of people think that is what Christianity teaches. But verse 13 and 14 say, if there is no resurrection from the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. 
everything hinges on the resurrection. See, I think we might tend to live more in that lifeboat story I told earlier, more of the time than many of us might think. Yeah, we get that Jesus' death and resurrection was an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We get that, right? We all know that. And we think about that event as something that if I believe in it, it's going to help me be a better person now so that when I die, I can go to heaven. Well, that's basically the lifeboat story. Now, there's truth in it, but it's missing something. I think if, if Paul was here or if Jesus were here, they would say to us, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The death and resurrection of Christ wasn't just an event that happened. It was an event that changed the world. The resurrection of Jesus was the proof that on the cross, Jesus had defeated death. Otherwise, he'd still be dead, right? Otherwise, he'd still be dead. The things that mess us up in this life, like, you know, the drive to work 90 hours a week or the overwhelming need to look good, to be successful, to make a name for ourselves, all the compulsions we give into and get addicted to, all the ways we try to protect ourselves and ruin our relationships in the process, they are all rooted in the fear of death. We grasp after life in ways that lead only to chaos because we have this fear of missing out, this FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, which is really a fear of the emptiness of death. So we can be believers in Jesus floating around in our lifeboats waiting to escape this world and still be ruled by the fear of death. The good news is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried. In other words, he really did die. Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And when Christ rose, the world changed because death was defeated, and not just for Jesus, but for all of us who put our trust in him. As Hebrews 2 says, the death and resurrection of Jesus frees those who were held in slavery all of their lives to the fear of death. The resurrection of Jesus proves that death has been defeated. This is uh, starting in verse 20 of the chapter. It says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be abolished is death. 
I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons that people over time sometimes drop out of engaging in the church or even engaging in faith is because the world is such a mess. And sometimes the church is too, right? It can be discouraging. Or we get discouraged by what we see as the lack of transformation in our own lives. It's very easy then to get cynical about everything. If death has been defeated, we might ask, why is there so much death? If Jesus is now the king, why isn't the world a better place? Well, it actually tells us why in that passage I just read. It says Jesus must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Clearly, that has not happened completely yet, right? Not yet. So how is it going to happen? Well, long before Jesus came into this world, Isaiah the prophet painted this beautiful poetic picture of the kingdom of God, the time when the Messiah would be king. It's in Isaiah 32, and it says, Indeed, a king will reign righteously, and rulers will rule justly. And each will be a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land, and the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. Beautiful picture. And in that picture, here's a couple of questions. How many kings will there be? One, right? And who's that king? Jesus, right? We know that now. There's one king, and it's Jesus. But here's the second question. How many rulers will there be? Many. Somebody had heard this before. (laughs) Many rulers, right? And who are those rulers? All of us, right? We're the rulers. We're the rulers under King Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings, and his people, God's family, are called to rule and reign under his kingship, bringing the justice and the righteousness and the mercy of our king to a world that desperately needs it, right? That's how Jesus will put his enemies under his feet, which his enemies, by the way, are never people, right? We all know that. That's a mistake that's been made way too often. His enemies are things like poverty and racism and loneliness and death and war and all this kind of stuff. Those are the enemies he's going to put under his feet. Jesus will reign over this world until he puts all of his enemies under his feet, and he will do that largely through us as we live out our call as God's family, as we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we work for God's kingdom to come, as we live holy lives ourselves, and as we refuse to be ruled by the fear of death. So as we rule and reign in this life, joining Jesus in his mission by loving God and loving others. Amen? Which is why being God's family matters, right? Being God's family is where we remind each other of this good news that death has been defeated 
even though it doesn't always seem like it. Being God's family is where we encourage each other that we no longer need to live ruled by that fear of death. We are free to live like Jesus, not floating around in our lifeboats waiting to escape and not giving in to despair and cynicism, but joining Jesus in the work that began that day he rose from the dead of making all things new, fully confident that we too are being made new and we will one day be fully made new when we rise from the dead like Jesus did. Amen? See, this is our hope, people. You know, someday I'm going to teach a whole series on 1 Corinthians 15 because it's like there's just way too much to get into in 20 minutes. It's like a great sermon. I was talking about it with another pastor friend of mine who had just finished doing a series, and I told him I'm teaching the chapter in one sermon. He said, how are you going to do that? It's like there's too much in there. Uh, And he's right, you know. The rest of the chapter goes on to talk about what our resurrection bodies will be like. And it is amazing if you read it. You should go home and read 1 Corinthians 15. The picture is definitely not one of us being disembodied spirits floating around in the clouds playing little golden harps, right? Not the picture. See, this is the hope that Paul was talking about on that first, in that first verse I read today. Our hope isn't in this life only. Our hope is in resurrection. But neither is our hope that we're simply going to escape this world for heaven. Our hope is that heaven and earth will merge one day and that that's how new creation will will happen. That's how it ultimately comes. Our hope is that all things are being made new and one day we'll be fully made new. You know, so when we look at the world around us, and this is Romans 8, and we see the trouble and we see the trouble in our own life, Romans 8 tells us those are the birth pangs of the new creation. That doesn't mean things are going wrong. That's the evidence that God is at work and he is changing this world little by little. He's changing us little by little because he is preparing us for the new creation. Amen? Yeah, that's good. See, our hope is that after spending our lives here, being members of God's family, joining Jesus in his work of making all things new, we will be resurrected like Jesus was and live in the new creation with God and each other forever. And it's all because of an event that happened. See, I've been following Jesus since 1973. Now, that's almost 50 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Man, I'm old. Um, and there are always a lot of ups and downs in life, right? There, there always are ups and downs in life. So it is, I know, it is challenging to follow Jesus and trust Jesus through everything and not become distracted or discouraged. But I've become convinced that it is the hope of the resurrection, the hope of life in new creation that sustains our faith for the long term. It is the hope of resurrection that keeps me trying to live a life of faith, a life of loving God and loving others when it would be a whole lot easier to stop doing that. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it all works, but it seems clear that what we do in this life makes a difference in the next. 
the ways we live with faith, hope, and love contribute to and carry over into the new creation and into our lives in that new creation. So I want to always keep my hope in the resurrection, my hope in the new creation, rather than settling for hoping only in this life. Amen? Yeah. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So after everything Paul writes about what the gospel really is, about how the resurrection is so essential, about how Jesus has defeated death, about our hope and our expectation for resurrection, after all of that, Paul ends the chapter with these words. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's our charge as God's family, right? That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. We can live it out because we no longer have to fear death in any of its forms because death has been defeated. Amen? Amen. There's a little theology for you. <laughs> it's good. So the Lord's Supper is a celebration of all of this, really. You know, it's a celebration that death has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. So we're going to celebrate together. So online, if you're watching, please gather with